standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. We're going to be continuing our look at the series of Bible evidence. We're looking particularly at some of the more well-known stories told in the Bible, particularly in the book of Genesis. And today we're going to look at a story that is closely connected with the flood, and that's the story of Noah's Ark. We're going to try to look at it from a scientific point of view, just as the scientists would seek to understand the world and its physical laws through the scientific method, we're going to employ that to some degree. We're going to look at the statements given us in the Word of God and make predictions based upon those statements as to what we should find if that is true. So without further ado, let us take a look at some of the statements made in the Bible in regard to Noah's Ark and make some predictions. Our first statement is found in the book of Genesis chapter 8 and verse 4. One of the most important facts regarding Noah and his ark, often overlooked even by modern-day scholars, is given us in verse 4. It says, And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. And you will notice that I highlighted the S. Most modern scholars think it's the mountain, singular, of Ararat. But the Bible specifies the mountains, that is, the mountain range of which Ararat is a part, a mountainous region. So it does not specify that the ark would come to rest upon the mountain of Ararat, that great mountain we know by that name, but upon mountains, plural, that is, in a group of mountains, possibly one of the sister mountains not far from Ararat. Secondly, after 4,000 plus years, somewhere approximating 4,500 years, we would expect that its remains would be largely fossilized or petrified. That's typically what happens when something is exposed to any degree. We would expect to find it in some kind of fossilized or petrified form, fossilized wood and metal. Thirdly, it would be in the right shape meaning it would look like a boat. And secondly, it would be the right size, according to the dimensions given by God, found in Genesis 6.15. Fourthly, it would be built as described in the account. What we should find would be according to the specifications that God gave. Namely, it would be pitched inside and out with pitch, just as God specified in Genesis 6.14. Secondly, it would contain rooms, according to the same verse. And lastly, it would contain various metals. Genesis 4, verse 22, tells us that before the flood, one of Cain's descendants, known as Tubal-Cain, was an artificer in iron and brass. Now, brass is an alloy, which tells us if this is indeed true, the knowledge of working metals and of working with alloys was known before the flood. So we would expect to find metal to some degree in a ship, especially of that size. So we would expect to find some trace evidence of metal. 
And there are other descriptions that we could list here, but these are the major ones that I want us to look at today. And let's see what evidence we find. And so I'm going to begin with perhaps the most important, the location. Let's look at the location. Here's a statement that we already read. The ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains, plural, of Ararat. Now that word Ararat is important because it's used one other time in the Bible. And that one other time gives us a clue as to the region where Ararat is to be found. Jeremiah 51, verses 27 and 48 answer that. It says, Set ye up a standard in the land, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations against her, that is, against Babylon. Call together against her the kingdoms of Ararat, Mini, and Ashkenaz. And then in verse 48 it tells us, speaking of these nations, The spoilers shall come unto her from the north, saith the Lord. So wherever Ararat is as a kingdom, notice it's called the kingdom of Ararat, not a mountain, the kingdom of Ararat, together with Mini and Ashkenaz, were to the north of Babylon. So we should expect to find them somewhere to the north. When the Bible speaks about Ararat, it's talking about a kingdom, a land, a territory. And you'll notice that on their southeastern border is the kingdom of Mini. To the northeast is that of Ashkenaz. To the southeast, the kingdom of the Medes and Assyria and Babylon in the far south and the Hittites to the west. So this is where we would expect to find it. God said that it was in the mountains or the mountainous region of Ararat, which we would understand to be the kingdom of Ararat or the people of Ararat. Together with this, we have the testimony of an old historian by the name of Flavius Josephus. And he writes concerning this ark additional details regarding the location. He says, the Armenians call this place, the place where the ark came to rest, Abobatirium. That is the place of descent. For the ark being saved in that place, its remains are shown there by the inhabitants to this day. So it was not hidden, as, we, as some believe, upon Mount Ararat. It was not difficult to find. The inhabitants of that region knew where it was and showed people where it was. He goes on to say, Now all the writers of barbarian histories make mention of this ark among whom is Barosus, the Chaldean. Describing the circumstances of the flood, he goes on thus, quote, It is said there is still some part of this ship in Armenia, at the mountain of the Cordians. He says that it was in the region of Armenia. Let's see if Armenia corresponds with Urartu. If you look at the ancient kingdom of Armenia, it corresponds almost perfectly with the ancient kingdom of Urartu. So we would expect to find the ark somewhere in the mountainous regions near the Mount of the Cordians. Now, who were the Cordians? The ancient word Cordian comes to us from the Latin or Greek. The Assyrians knew them as the Cordu, and we know them today as the Kurds. And on this map, you can see where their habitation is. Now, this map was around 1986. On the upper left, the, the red shaded area. You can see it, it spans what, what at that time was Russia, Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. 
This is where the Kurds dwelt and they have dwelt for centuries in this same region. And you can see that it corresponds almost exactly with the kingdom of Armenia and that of the Urartians. Now here's a picture of Turkey itself, the eastern portion of Turkey. And this is where the Kurds dwell. The darker the red, the more populous. And you can see it corresponds exactly with the kingdom, the ancient kingdom of Urartu. And that large lake in the upper or the right-hand side, large body of water there, that is Lake Van. So, with all this information, we would expect Noah's Ark to be found somewhere in that mountainous region, in eastern Turkey, perhaps western Armenia, near the Mount of the Chordians, or the Kurds, and that mount is none other than Mount Ararat. So wherever the Ark is found, it has to be near Mount Ararat, not necessarily upon it, but near it. Now, this is an article I'm going to share with you, taken from Life Magazine 1960. And in this article, the statement or the journalist writes this account. He says, while routinely examining aerial photos of his country, a Turkish army captain suddenly gaped at the picture shown above. Now, you can see it in the upper right-hand portion of the screen. There on a mountain 20 miles from Mount Ararat was a boat-shaped form about 500 feet long. A quick two-day survey. Now, this is talking about a group that went to explore this site in 1960. It says, A quick two-day survey revealed no sign that the object was man-made, according to this first expedition. The author goes on. Says, Yet a scientist in the group says nothing in nature could create such a symmetrical shape. A thorough excavation may be made another year to solve the mystery. And when this photo was shown to one of the most well-known photogrammetrists at the time, uh, a gentleman by the name of Jay Brandenberger, his response to this photograph is as follows. He says, I have no doubt at all that this object is a ship. In my entire career, I have never seen an object like this on a stereo photo. So one of the premier scientists in that field said that he had no doubt that this was a ship. But the question is, was it Noah's ship? Here is a photograph, the original photograph, blown up so you can see it in a bit more detail. And in the center of the screen, you can see that boat-shaped object in what appears to be some type of mud flow or lava flow. Now, in this next shot, I have a corresponding picture. Now, this is taken from Google Earth in almost the exact same location, in the exact same viewpoint. So you can see how well it corresponds with that 1960 photograph. Now, this is from 2019. Same exact location, although uh, some things have changed. This is taken also from Google Earth. This is looking at that site from the southwest. And you can see the site where the supposed ark or ship is on the left and Mount Ararat on the right, about 20 miles away. And interestingly enough, the valley in between these two mountains is known as the Valley of the Eight in the tongue of the people who live there. 
And to the, in the northwest of that valley, there's a city, Kazan, I believe it is. It's known as the City of the Eight. And none of the dwellers there today know how it got that name. It's just been called that as long as they've known. It's the Valley of the Eight and the City of the Eight. A gentleman by the name of Ron White, I don't know if some of you are familiar with him. Everything that I'm going to be sharing with you today was discovered by this gentleman. So I, I take no credit for anything that I'm sharing with you today. Everything that I will be telling you was discovered by this gentleman back in the late 70s and early 80s. And in his first expedition there, after 17 years, after that original photo that you saw in 1960, he went there to investigate it for himself. And in 1977, he came across these stones. Now, those of you who are familiar with ancient nautical practices, these are known as drogue or anchor stones. And they were hung off the sides of the ships, usually toward the stern of the ship, to help stabilize them in, in tumultuous weather and to help direct them toward oncoming waves to protect them from being capsized. And they're strewn all throughout the Mediterranean Sea and in the Mediterranean Sea. The only difference between these stones we see here and the stones that have been found in that region is the size. Most of the drogue stones or anchor stones you find in the Mediterranean Sea are around two to two and a half feet tall, weigh maybe two to 400 pounds at the most. But these stones weigh in the tons. They're over around 11 feet tall. Some four feet of them almost are in the ground. Only around eight feet of them stick above the ground. And there are a number of these. Some of them are still upright. Others have fallen over. These are a couple pictures taken by Ron Wyatt on his first expedition out there in 1977. Now, you can't see it clearly in this picture, but there are crosses engraved on these stones, eight of them to be specific. And these stones are found in the valley of the eight. And I'm going to show a little bit, a short little clip here. This is some drone footage of the actual site where this boat-shaped structure was found. And you see the structure in the center is that boat-shaped object that was found. So its location fits. It's in the mountains, plural, of Ararat. It's located close to the mountain of Ararat. It has everything specified as far as location. So let's look at its shape and its size. Well, its shape is obvious, isn't it? It looks like a boat. But what of its size? The first fact that I want us to take note of, in Genesis chapter 6, God gives to Noah dimensions for this boat. He said it was to be 300 cubits long, by 50 cubits wide, by 15 cubits tall. That was its dimensions. Now, most have speculated that this was the Hebrew cubit because Moses was a Hebrew. But the Bible tells us clearly that there was a more ancient cubit. In 2 Chronicles 3, verse 3, we are told that there were cubits after the first or original measure. There was an earlier cubit than was used in the time of Solomon. It's called the first measure. 
What is that cubit? We get it a bit more evidence in Acts 7.22. There Luke tells us that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Now the Egyptians had a cubit. It was called the royal cubit. And that would have been the cubit that Moses would have been familiar with. It was, in fact, the universal cubit used around the world. Now, if you take the length given by God in Genesis chapter 6 to Noah and measure that with this cubit, which is 1.7 feet approximately, it equals out to 515 feet and a quarter. The width, which would have been 50 feet, would measure out to roughly 86 feet, or 85.87. Now, is that significant? What is the dimension of this shape that we see? Well, the length was measured by Ron when he went there in 1977, and he found it to be exactly 515 feet. And it has been documented time and time again. So it fits in shape. It looks like a boat. It's the exact size that God specified it would be from bow to stern. In 19, I believe it was, I'm going to say 19, the late 80s or early 90s, Ron acquired some equipment that was, in his day, the most technological. It was subsurface radar equipment used to locate ships that had been lost at sea. And he wanted to get an idea of what this object looked like beneath the ground. So he gathered together this equipment and took it over and measured it. And this information, after it was collected by Ron, was taken back and given to the vice president of the company who made this device and asked him what he thought of it. And his words are quoted as follows. He says, this is not a natural object. The reflections are occurring too periodic for it to be a natural type interface. You'd never see anything like this in natural geology. Some human made this structure, whatever it is. When Ron took this evidence, together with the photographs, to the premier archaeologist in Turkey at the time, his name was Ekrem Arkugrul, and asked his opinion in regard to all of it. He said these words, it is at any rate a ship. So his opinion of it was that it was a ship. And later on in that interview, he was asked whether he believed it was Noah's Ark. And he said he did believe. And the, the interviewer asked him, why do you believe? His simple reply was, quote, because there is no other explanation. So to him, the evidence said, there can be no other explanation for this. It's in the right place. It's the right shape. It's the right size. It can't be anything else. Now, this man was not a believer in God. He was a secular archaeologist. And that was his frank assessment of the matter. He was honest. He said, frankly, I don't see how it could be anything else. It has to be what Ron Wyatt claimed it to be. Years later, in fact, I think this was just recently, either this year or actually last year or the year before, there was some more subsurface radar taken at the site. And this is a visual of that, of what this structure looks like underground. 
And when you look at it, you can see some of the rocky outcropping around it, but you can also see a distinctive boat shape underneath the ground. So as far as size, dimensions, and shape, it fits. But what about its design and material? Does it fit the specifications as described in the book of Genesis by Moses? Let us see. In 1978, there was an earthquake in the region. And that earthquake broke away a lot of the soil on the sides of this object and allowed it to be visibly seen. And when it was broken away, Ron went back in 1979, I believe it was, and did some more uh, careful excavating of the sides with a sharpened shovel to break away some of the loose material so you could see the color difference between the soil and what appeared to him to be the rib timbers of the ship or what we know as the bulkheads. And you can see in this photograph the picture that he took as he had scraped away some of that material. And indeed, you can see the coloration difference between them. And it's very faint, but Ron also noticed what appeared to be the markings of a keelson. So that evidence appeared to verify that this indeed was a ship. And in 1991, as Ron Wyatt was conducting the subsurface radar scan, some Turkish officials were there on site. And as he was scanning, it came up on the machine what appeared to be an object, a small object, roughly around a foot and a half and about six or eight inches in depth. And Ron speculated that that could possibly some, be some petrified wood. And the, immediately a Turkish official said, dig there. And he commanded one of the soldiers to go and dig. And what they dug up was this. And you can see a cross-section was cut out of it. It was tested for carbon content, and it came back a piece of petrified wood. There appears to be something oozing out of this wood. And you can see in the cross-section cut there are, that there are distinctive layers to this wood, three of them. There's a top layer, a middle layer, and a bottom layer. So whatever wood this is, it's similar to what we have in plywood today. It was layered somehow. But how? What does the Bible say? God said, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Thou shalt pitch it within and without. Pitch it within and without. That's what we call laminating, when you layer woods with some type of glue or adhesive. And the result is you have a stronger wood. It's a stronger structure than the wood alone unlayered. And what we have here appears to be some type of deck timber from a ship, layered, just as the Bible specified, within and without, with pitch. And that oozing on the end would most likely be the pitch that oozed out when it was laminated. Interestingly enough, the word gopher, many have speculated about the word gopher in referring to the wood. What did it mean? What well, comes from the verb, the Hebrew verb, kafar, which means to cover. The Greek equivalent in the Septuagint is asphalto. Now, asphalt is, in the ancient term, tar. It's what we call it today. It's what you use when you make asphalt. They mix rock and others with tar. They, in a sense, laminate it together, just as we do with plywood. 
and that is the word from which gopher comes. So it would indicate that gopher wood is none other than wood that is pitched together, inside and out, or laminated. And that's exactly what we find in the specimen that was found by Ron Wyatt and the Turkish officials. But more than this, a few years earlier when Ron was there with another team, he came across this object. It didn't look like your normal rock, and when he picked it up and examined it, he speculated that that was perhaps an ancient rivet used to rivet together the ship. You can kind of see on that the outward form of what looks like some type of washer or the head. And he said this had every resemblance to an ancient rivet, a large rivet, in fact. And he took it and had a portion of it tested for its content. And the results came back from Galbraith Labs, actually in Knoxville, Tennessee, not too far from here, where it was tested. It was analyzed, and the analysis came back as follows. Now, any of you who are familiar with metallurgy, these are the ingredients for an alloy, a metallic alloy. And aluminum, according to scientists in this form, as it's found, is not occurring in nature. It had to be man-made. And aluminum is an alloy, which until the 19th century, men didn't know how to work. But we have evidence that there was aluminum. Not only that, but titanium. And titanium also was not known. And men were not capable to work with it until recent times. But we have evidence that there was metal on this ship made of titanium and aluminum. I would say the evidence says this indeed has to be none other than the Ark of Noah. What other evidence could we ask for? Well, in 1986, I believe it was, or 85, Ron Wyatt got permission to drill a hole and take a core sample out of this, what appeared to be a ship. And then he sent the results back to be tested. But before he did that, when they were pulling out these samples, they noticed what appeared to be hair-like fibers. And they sent these hair-like fibers to be analyzed by scientists. And the result came back that they were indeed hairs of a mammal somewhere. And the scientists specified even more that these were had striated coloration to them, which meant that there was different layers or amount of pigment at different points in the hair-like structure. And he said it was characteristic of the felidae family or the feline family. And he speculated that this perhaps was a cat hair. Now, this is found inside this ship, along with other fibers, some from other animals and some fibers that were man-made, plant-type fibers, perhaps cotton or linen. We don't know. They didn't know. They couldn't tell. They didn't recognize what plant it was from. Perhaps it was a plant that went extinct before the flood. We don't really know. And not only that, but there were rocks, what appeared to be rocks, and they were taken and analyzed, and these rocks were found to be the petrified remains of animal dung. So it was a boat of the right dimensions, the right shape. It contained animal hair and animal dung, something we would expect to find if it were Noah's Ark. I mean, what more could you ask for? Nah, maybe a sign that says Noah's Ark this way. 
Well, there you go. That's Turkish for Noah's big boat. And you notice it's pointing the opposite direction from Ararat. In 1986, the evidence was so convincing that the Turkish government made this Noah's Ark monument. And it was dedicated in 1987. And Ron Wyatt was there to see the dedication. So the evidence was so convincing, even to the secular government of Turkey, that it was recognized as Noah's Ark. And to this day, if you want to find Noah's Ark, just type it into Google Maps. It'll take you right there. You don't have to go searching for it. The question is, will we believe? There will always be reason and room for doubt. But will we believe? Will we accept the evidence that is shown us? I think it's substantial. And I've only shown you but a few. There is more. But for the sake of time, I've just showed you some of the major areas where it fits everything, just as specified in the Word of God. And there's a lesson in this that I want to leave us with. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Talking of Noah, here I believe the Apostle Paul, writing under inspiration, gives to us Noah as an example to help us understand the reason for the flood, the purpose behind the flood and the building of this monumental structure called the ark. And he says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. You see, Noah was much more than a shipbuilder. Noah was a prophet. Noah spoke for God. According to the Genesis account, for 120 years, he preached to the antediluvians regarding that which God had forewarned him of, of the destruction to come. And what was the difference between Noah, his family, and the rest of the world? Noah believed. He was moved with fear. He knew that God meant what he said. And in fear, he built that ark that God commanded him to build just in the same dimensions and shape that God said to do it. And in the exact way God said to do it. And he invited men for 120 years, as he was building the ship, to believe. And at the appointed time to come and take refuge in that ship. And thus Noah is set forth to us as an example of righteousness. What is righteousness? It's believing God. And not just intellectually believing, but taking action according to it. When God warns, we act accordingly. When God admonishes and corrects, we act accordingly with repentance and faith. And Noah is set for us as an example of this. And to all the world, that God means what he says. See, just as the world was in water and out of water, as the Apostle Peter tells us, and destroyed by the waters of the flood. So he says the world as it is today is held in store, reserved unto fire. You see, the waters of a flood will not destroy this world again. God gave us the promise in the rainbow to ensure that that would never happen again. But it will be destroyed by another flood. 
of fire. Known in the Bible as the lake of fire. Jesus spoke of it as Gehenna. Hell. It's a real thing. It's a real event. And because God loves us and that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, he has warned us centuries before that we might prepare our hearts as Noah prepared his heart and that we might enter into the ark of refuge, which is none other than Jesus Christ. For that big boat represented the Son of God, which to us is the ark of safety that alone will allow us to dwell with the consuming fire. For who can dwell with the consuming fire and who can be with everlasting burnings? But only those who have Christ in them. Only those who have repented of their sins and accepted Jesus into their heart. They alone will ride in safety upon that lake of fire. Just as the Hebrews of old who were in the midst of the fiery furnace and had no hurt, not even the smell of burnt or singed flesh or hair clung upon them. It couldn't touch them. They abode with the consuming fire, but Christ was with them. And he promises to be with us today. Won't you accept him into your heart? Won't you allow him to come in? And won't you enter into that ark of safety today? Shall we kneel in a word of prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, that thou hast loved us and warned us, called us to repentance, and provided the means of our salvation. Thou didst send thine only begotten Son into this world, that all who should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, I pray, turn our minds to him in faith. Let us receive him into our heart, that we may enter into that ark of safety. In thy Son, we bless thee and thank thee for giving us thy word. And pray, Father, that we may faithfully adhere to it, that we may love it and cherish it. Work in us thy good pleasure, we pray, and help us that we, like Noah of old, may be an example of faith and righteousness to all that behold. For we pray all of this and ask in the precious name of thy Son, Jesus. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer Health